G'day and welcome to Talking Finance. I'm Alan Kohler and this week, well, it's all about the Banking Royal Commission and oh boy, what a shocker it's been. Not just for the banks, I'd suggest, but also the financial planning industry and the government, of course. So to help us understand the implications of the market, I'll be speaking with James Gerrish, Senior Advisor at Shaw and Partners. And also Michelle Grattan, Chief Political Correspondent at The Conversation, to help us understand the politics of it. After all, the Coalition is one of the big losers from the Royal Commission, having opposed it for so long, saying it wasn't necessary. Whoops. The Reserve Bank confirmed this week that the next move in interest rates will be up, so I rang Bill Evans, Chief Economist at Westpac, to tell us when that might be. And I also rang Steve Sammartino, tech author and futurist, to discuss what might happen to Facebook now, and also the rest of social media. Joining me now is James Gerrish, Senior Advisor at Shaw and Partners. James, well, the AMP's been whacked by the market after the revelations, but the banks have done relatively better. I mean, overall, what's your impression of how the market's viewing um, the revelations in the Royal Commission this week? Yeah, it's been obviously taken as a negative. Some of the uh, headlines coming out of AMP are pretty uh, damning. AMP's down 20-odd percent. Um, since early March, whereas the banks, you know, as you may mention, the banks have held up reasonably well. Issues around the composition of earnings, wealth management in AMP is their biggest division uh, in terms of earnings, whereas something like a CBA, wealth management accounts for about 5% of their overall earnings. So, and they're, they're, they're looking to exit those, those areas of the business. So, you know, from an earnings composition, um, then AMP is you know, a lot more impacted than the banks are in terms of that. And, and uh, do you think it's, it's been a big surprise? I mean, uh, do you think there are broader implications out of this uh, for the market? Yeah, yeah not yes. Yeah. Well, for that area of the market, I think one of the things that it brings into focus is the integrated model, where um, you know you go to seek independent, you go to seek advice, and you end up getting um, sold products as more of an incentive to buy. Um, uh, or for a planner to sell branded products of, of where they're going. So whatever the structure is in the in AMP or whatever the compensation is to the advisor that makes it more uh, attractive for them to sell AMP products. So yeah, I think that's the that's the key takeout of here. So independence will be more um, highly regarded. Um, AMP will struggle to grow advisor numbers. They'll struggle with a lot of their business. So yeah, I think they're in in a bit of trouble in general. In fact, uh, I guess AMP is now yielding quite well. I'm just having a look at the yield. Um, yeah, 6.5%. Oh, that's not that massive. 6.5% fully franked. It's, um, you know, I guess it's up there. But uh, the question, I guess, is um, uh, at what point does AMP become a buy? Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's yielding 6.5%, but that's based on, you know, current projected earnings. Um, you've got some pretty negative trends in terms of earnings. They need to grow advisor numbers. Uh, margins are under pressure. Um, the integrated model comes into question, etc. So, you know, I look at AMP and it's on about 12 times earnings, um, current earnings. Um, you know, I'd be, I'd be looking at something a lot cheaper than where that's trading um, at now. Like, I don't think 12 times is, is that compelling for the headwinds of our face. Um, so, look, I think it goes lower before it goes higher, Alan. Overall, the market has been quite resilient this week after the Syrian airstrikes last weekend, um, uh, although volatility 
is still fairly elevated. Um, what's your view about why the market um, has held up against what seem to be rising geopolitical risks? Yeah, I guess it's the Russian response or lack thereof. They've come back with rhetoric rather than action. Um, you know, with the, the last attack on um, Syria happened 12 months ago, that the market took it in its stride as well. Um, yeah, the market was a little bit sanguine for about a week thereafter and then started to rally again. So, you know, it comes down to whether or not Russia does come back with any force. It looks like they won't. I think America were pretty careful not to um, target any Russian assets in Syria. So I, I think the market's seen through that. But, I mean, we're, we're at a pretty critical juncture right now in our market. Like, our market is failing, continues to fail at 5,900. Um, you said volatility is still high. Well, it's dropped down from sort of uh, mid-20s. We're now at um, just below 16 on the volatility index. So it's higher than it was last year, but it's a long way below the 50 level that we saw in January. So we're going in the seasonally weak period in May. Um, so, you know, it's, it's probably time for a little bit of caution. Selling into some of this strength in, in resources is what we've been doing this week, Alan. Members on my right will cease interjecting. The Leader of the House will cease interjecting. I'm joined now by Michelle Grattan, Chief Political Correspondent at The Conversation. Michelle, uh, one thing that strikes me about the budget this year, we haven't seen any leaks, or at least I haven't seen any leaks. Is it a leak-free budget so far? Well, that's right. Uh, on the other hand, we do know that uh, the budget will contain the income tax cuts. We don't know the timing. We don't know the magnitude, although uh, Scott Morrison is making the point that there's not the sort of money around for tax cuts that uh, there was during the Howard era. And, of course, we also have had from the, the new Nationals leader, Michael McCormack, the um, uh, news that uh, it'll, there'll be a lot of infrastructure. But one thing about budgets these days, Alan, is that uh, with the infrastructure money, it's often a bit hard to distinguish quickly what's an announcement and what's a re-announcement because it does get uh, recycled, of course, uh, each budget. Yes, that's right. Would you call this an election budget? On the schedule at present, it will be the last budget before the election because the election has to be held in the first half of next year and all done and dusted for a new Senate from July 1. So therefore, the latest for the election, I think, is May. But of course, you could have something approximating a little budget, remember the old mini budgets, late in the year. That's possible or very early in the new year. But in terms of um, big budgets, this would be the last one. Hence the tax cuts, I guess. Well, hence the election budget and uh, the uh, goodies, I would think, in various areas, although, of course, uh, Scott Morrison was very cross when uh, Michael McCormack uh, portrayed him as Santa Claus and said that there'd be uh, good news in it. Uh, Scott Morrison at the moment wants the message to be responsibility. Right. <laughs> yeah, I saw the Daily Telegraph front page. That, so that, that annoyed Scott Morrison, did it? Uh, more than annoyed. I think he uh, rang Michael McCormack that night, according to reports, 
and uh, was not pleased. And you could see his mood the next day was uh, quite dark on uh, anyone daring to uh, call his budget and and, uh, preview it, especially in that sort of way of raising expectations. Yeah, right. That's very funny. Um, so uh, how do you think the government's coming out of the Royal Commission on Banking, um, uh, given the fact that they uh, they held out and didn't want to do it and said there was no need for it, and now all of a sudden it's quite clear there was a need for it and it was a good idea. So how do, they, how do you think they're – how do you think politically I they're think, coming out of it? Well, politically, if anyone remembers, uh, even yesterday or let alone the day before in politics these days, they're not coming out of it well at all. They are trying to uh, grab on to these appalling disclosures and talk about people uh, facing jail time and trying to say, well, uh, we broadened the Royal Commission from what Labor would have set up. They're really clutching at straws. And you have to remember how much their arms were twisted about this. If it hadn't been for a revolt by some nationals, we would not have had this Royal Commission. Uh, we can thank at least in part George Christensen, for heaven's sake, for this Royal Commission. So I think the government really doesn't look good at all over all this. And also, it's worth remembering that when the government first came in after the 2013 election, uh, one of the measures that it attempted was to cut back the consumer protections in the financial industry that Labor had put in place. Now, it was only, again, rebels, well, more rebels in the uh, crossbench in the Senate, actually, who uh, managed to stymie that. Uh, At first, the government was successful, and then its efforts were uh, stymied by the Senate crossbench uh, way back then. So at both points, this government, the coalition government, has really been more inclined to uh, protect the banks and and the whole financial advisory system than to protect the consumers. And so it's very late to really condemning in a very strong way these practices. Well, in fact, Scott Morrison, as you point out, is overcompensating by by telling them they've got to go to jail. Well, they could go to jail. Well, absolutely. Um, Preempting courts, you could say. But I think that the government is aware that... uh, it, it really got this whole thing wrong. It just hopes that uh, the electorate doesn't have a too long a memory. And now let's hear from Bill Evans, Chief Economist at Westpac. Well, Bill, we had the RBA minutes this week and they repeated their um, statement that the next move is likely to be up. Um, was that a surprise to you? And, and when do you think that next move is likely to be? Uh, Alan, it, it, it was a little surprising because whilst the governor has talked about the next move likely to be up in speeches, we haven't actually seen it in the formal minutes of the board before. Uh, it doesn't come as any surprise to me. I think that's the, that's the signal they're certainly wanting to put out. Uh, from my perspective, Basically, since early last year, we've argued that rates will remain on hold in 17, 18 and 19. 
So that's how that continues to be our view. Uh, and so the, the, this upward move, uh, if it happens, will have to be, in my view, will be will happen after 2019. So not until 2020. That's uh, that's a remarkably long time. At, for, for no, I haven't I haven't actually said that I haven't formally uh, released a forecast for 2020 at this stage, Alan. So it, it's uh, it's it's uh, the the formal forecasts are out to the end of 19. Rates on hold. Right, that's that's uh, that's still a remarkably long time for rates on hold. So it's I mean, yeah, so it is. You, you and, would... um, and if, uh, a couple of factors there. I think that the economy will slow down in 2019. The Reserve Bank's own inflation forecast, which we generally can confer with, uh, have inflation at uh, 1.75 in 2018 and one and uh, Two percent in 2019. So you're still talking about a central bank that uh, inflation was 1.9 in 15, 1.5 in 16, 1.9 in 17. Forecast to be 1.75 in 18 and two in 19. So the key inflation uh, performances have uh, been um, the performance has been a long way from the two and a half that they they think in terms of being their uh, their their target. So inflation hasn't been uh, hasn't been anywhere near threatening to interest rates, uh, and but more importantly, I'm expecting the economy to slow down in 19, whereas the Reserve Bank uh, is expecting growth of three and a quarter percent, which is half a percent above trend, uh, and if and they're also expecting that in in uh, in 18. So you've got two consecutive years, half a percent above trend. I would have thought their inflation forecast would have been higher. Uh, given those growth numbers, but they're not. So it's a little schizophrenic, but our view is that growth this year will be about two and three quarters, uh, and next year, 2.5. What do you think the implications of that would be for investors thinking about the next, I don't know, what, two years of investing? How should they think about and approach that? Uh, which, which form of investment are we talking about? Well, anything really, I, I suppose. Um, uh, everybody's kind of investing. Well, particularly retirees were investing for yield. I suppose the um, uh, yield's going to continue to be hard to get. Yeah, well, that would argue that rates that um, the short end of the yield curve will remain um, quite benign. Now, the longer end, the bonds, of course, are much more captive of the US. Uh, so, say five to ten years out. Now, and I do expect that the Fed, quite differently to us, will continue to raise rates. We're expecting three rate hikes this year. We've had one, so another two, and then another two next year. So that would have uh, the Fed at around 2.6 and 2.65%, uh, a whole 100, 115 basis points above Australia. That'll push up longer term rates. Uh, but our rates won't go up by as much as the US. I expect that by that time, our long rates will be around 3% compared to the US of around 3.4%. We've never been 40 basis points below the US before, uh, but uh, given that movement in the US, our long rates will rise. So longer term rates will be higher, but not at the short end of the curve. And you seem to be suggesting that we are a steepening of the curve if uh, obviously if short end stays the same and long rates go up. Yeah, that's right. For us, that would certainly be the case. Whereas in the US, um, the, um, the because their short rates will be moving a lot further than ours, 
then we'll certainly see a different sort of a, a movement in that shape. Uh, there's so a lot of the things equi- that are different. Go on, sorry. Go on. I was there's just a lot of things the that are different between us and the US in this particular cycle. They're, they are now at full employment. They're below full employment with their labour market. We saw some more evidence today from the so-called Beige Book uh, that really pretty much all the districts now are talking about labour shortages and three of the 12 are talking about labour shortages in all all vocations. The other nine are, are specifically talking about shortages in a number of vocations, whereas in Australia, we're a long way from that. Our unemployment rate is 56 we don't really know where full employment is. Generally, it's expected to be around five, but uh, given the benign performance of wages, uh, the, the level of unemployment that would lead to a, a, a rising wage pressures may indeed be even lower than five. So we're a long way away. We've still got a lot of spare capacity in our labour market, and the underemployment rate is actually rising at the moment. Right. So, and, and the steepening, what, what impact does the steepening of the yield curve have, have on the economy? Well, most of our economy is driven by the short end of the curve. You know, 80% of mortgages are floating rate. Most businesses borrow against the BBSW, which is the, uh, the bank bill swap rate. And that's another development that um, is certainly arguing against the Reserve Bank having to raise rates because we've seen a 25 basis point increase in that uh, bank bill swap rate, which is effectively a rate hike for corporates. And that, of course, is related to the um, change in liquidity conditions and the huge pressure that the US Treasury is putting on the short end of the yield curve in the US. And so we've effectively seen a rate hike for Australian corporates. And banks, of course, uh, fund a large part of their mortgage portfolio with floating rates. Now, we haven't seen any response on the mortgage market from the banks, but there's no doubt that their funding costs will be putting pressure on mortgage rates. And joining me now is Steve Sammartino, author and futurist. Well, Steve, how do you think Facebook and social media more generally has come out of their uh, recent troubles? I think they've got away with it. Uh, in the short term, if you look at their share prices. But I think this is the start of the start. I think the governments are starting to realise how much power these organisations wield and how much information they've nefariously sort of acquired from consumers with us having very poor knowledge of how they're acquiring that information. They've become a panopticon across the web and the geopolitical risk that that has both for consumers and for governments. So I think we're really only seeing the start We've got the general data protection regulation coming in Europe. I would expect to see that across most uh, democratic markets, and I think that's going to have a really big impact on their ability to grow and maybe even maintain their financial positions. And I presume that just doesn't apply to Facebook. That's uh, to uh, the internet generally, really, isn't it? The GP, uh, the GDPR uh, yeah, so le- legislation. Absolutely. I think it applies probably a little bit more to uh, Google and Facebook than it would Amazon and Apple and some of the other tech companies who don't necessarily go out and sell your data in, in forms of advertising to third parties. Uh, but, yeah, I think that uh, those who are focused on advertising, and, and Facebook is at particular risk. I mean, 98.5% of their revenue comes directly from advertising. 
But if we look at Amazon and Apple and Google, they have you know, a far greater breadth of, of revenue sources and potential revenue sources with Google and what they're doing with machine learning and uh, driverless cars and other hardware elements, uh, which Facebook really doesn't have a hardware play at all. And so I think they're uh, fraught with risk in terms of where their revenue in the future will lie. That, that European legislation requires permission. You know, I suppose it's the core of it. There's a number of things, but that's the main thing is, I guess, permission for the use of the data. Do you think that it's possible that some places will go further than that now? Um, I saw one suggestion that perhaps targeted advertising in general should be banned or at least limited in some way, which is obviously what uh, Facebook relies on. What do you think of that? I think there's a really high probability that uh, targeted advertising based on the information that you put in the market will be outlawed. Uh, I think that we've come to the conclusion that we don't necessarily want targeted advertising, even though the argument is that it's it's more useful and less of an interruption for the consumer. I, I wouldn't be surprised that we, if we see coming out of a particular country within the EU, and we need to remember that we've seen this uh, before, especially in, in Germany where you know people were being spied on. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see targeted advertising uh, really wound back significantly through legislation. And I wouldn't even be surprised if we see Facebook banned uh, within a country or, or um, forced out of a country within um, the EU uh, arena. So I think there's a high probability of that. And GDPR type legislation you know, in countries like America and Australia, um, I think there's, there's also a high probability of that as well. It's interesting because there's, there's hardly been a discussion of it in Australia. I mean, there's obviously huge discussion in the US at the moment because of Cambridge Analytica and the Facebook's role in the election of Donald Trump and also Europe with GDPR, but there's, it's, it's barely on the, around the radar in Australia. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think if we go back to one of the old uh, economic regimes of, you know, what are the externalities, it's it's very rare that we get a government react until there's something that's had an effect directly on that marketplace. And in Australia, we've been reasonably unscathed by the impact of Facebook. And I think that's one of the reasons. Also, you know, I would say that because consumers have such a low awareness and people click on terms and conditions that they, A, haven't read and B, don't understand, even if they did read them, uh, has, has given Facebook almost like a get-out-of-jail-free card. People don't have an understanding of the breadth of which uh, we're being uh, monitored. And so as the awareness of the data that we're giving up uh, comes to head, we're going to see, I think, you know, a greater force of regulation in countries uh, like Australia. I suppose we'd need some sort of direct scandal here to bring it to everyone's attention, I guess, you know, perhaps assisting in the election yeah. of Pauline Hanson or something. <laughs> no, that's right, and that's what you generally do. I mean, we very rarely see regulation until someone, uh, of you know, political uh, in the political realm gets hurt, and that that's something that we've seen in the US and Europe have also got you know the scars from World War Two and the things that have happened there with with privacy in East Germany and so on. So I think they're more aware of what's happening, and we haven't had it here in Australia. But you know, one of the other threats I think from an investment prospect is the threat of antitrust. Uh, it's also true that the big tech companies like Google, Amazon, and Facebook in, in particular, now they're in a position where they're basically you know, virtual monopolies, even though you could argue that they're a small part of our social interaction. Um, there's really uh, very few other places that we can go uh, in the marketplace to get that type of connection. And as soon as anyone looks like a threat to Facebook, they're either acquired, uh, which is what happened with WhatsApp, where it was a $19 billion acquisition, or their, their features 
are copied uh, as to what's happened with Snap Inc. So I think that we're also going to see not just regulation, but maybe a revision of what antitrust should look like in a technological environment. Uh, and, and antitrust in some ways I think needs a revision because what we regard as a dominant market position in a digital world I think is a little bit different. Levon Helm, the drummer in the band, died today in 2012. Here he is doing one of the many songs by the band that I just love, Ophelia. Well, that's it for Talking Finance. I'm Alan Kohler. Have a great week.